This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. To another episode of Breaking Pod. We're going to talk about season two, episode five called Breakage. And I'm joined on the other line, as always, by Josh Goldman, co-host of Breaking Pod. Josh. Zach, how you doing? I'm really excited because not only are we going to talk about this great episode of Breaking Bad, but we've had some amazing Breaking Bad news come our way since we last recorded the much anticipated, much talked about Breaking Bad movie directed and written by series creator Vince Gilligan. It's called El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. It is coming out in about a month. What what happened? This this came upon us like like out of nowhere. Amazing. So the chronology is basically a couple years ago, there were whispers of a Breaking Bad movie happening, but the casting was unclear. The plot was unclear. It wasn't uh, for certain if any of the original cast members were going to come back, etc. And there's been general gossip and rumor mill floating around this idea since that time. Earlier this year, I think we actually talked about it on this very podcast, Josh. I think you brought it up, but Jesse Pinkman, or Aaron Paul, not Jesse Pinkman, but Aaron Paul, who plays Jesse Pinkman, and Brian Cranston both shared a picture on social media that was maybe a teaser for a new Breaking Bad film, and people were thinking maybe filming's about to start, maybe filming's ongoing, but it turns out they were really in post at that point because the Netflix, uh, the Netflix purchased film, Breaking Bad, is coming out. In October, what do you have? The, do you know the exact date? In October eleventh. October eleventh. So yeah, we're uh, we're a month shy of the release. So this is huge. Took the whole Breaking Bad fandom world by surprise, and we are certainly going to watch it as soon as it comes out and give you a reaction pod because that is something that needs to happen. But um, yeah, the Breaking Bad film. It's this is game changing for the Breaking Bad universe. Yeah, so we won't get into to details about the movie in terms of breaking down the episodes because there will be spoilers for the end of the end of the the series. So we won't do that. But you know what's funny about this whole thing is that Bob Odenkirk, who plays Saul Goodman, who we're going to meet in just two episodes in Breaking Bad. I think it's uh, season two, episode eight, which is the episode called Better Call Saul. He apparently was on a press tour for something and said, "Yeah, the the Breaking Bad movie has been shot." And then the the next day, yes. they released a teaser on on YouTube and, and online of this Breaking Bad movie. And so not only had it been shot, it was pretty much done, I think, at that point. So he sort right. of buried the lead. I don't know if he was supposed to say that on the press tour or what happened, but it was it was pretty funny that, that the very next day we got a teaser. And so far, that's all we've seen of it. But again, it is coming out in the next month, and we're going to do a whole podcast just on that movie i'm pretty excited i am very excited as well and yeah you're right i don't know if if bob odenkirk uh went against what his what his pr staff told him he was allowed to say or if it was a coordinated thing to drum up some anticipation before the release of the trailer that's also possible but either way it definitely could have been that i'm excited well before we do that we should talk about this episode which is another good entry into the breaking bad universe that's right yeah so this one's called breakage and the word breakage uh well the the name of the episode comes from a conversation that we'll talk about between jesse and walt but the word breakage has two meanings one is um one is basically an investment term um that refers to uh money that's claimed as revenue by a company based on um un like unsold merchandise. So like if you sell a bunch of gift cards and then the gift cards are never used to purchase things from you, that's breakage. 
Um, and the second instance or the second definition is the actual act of breaking someone or something. So uh, that's that's kind of interesting because I think both of those definitions apply and we can talk about more, I'll talk about that idea more. But this is season two, episode five. I'm going to get started on the two-minute summary, but Josh, you had an, a cool fun fact about the director of this episode. Yeah, so I was watching the episode again and I always like to look at the credits of the of the actual episode because there's a different director usually, there's a different writer from the writer's room and I'm interested in that sort of thing. And as I was watching this one in particular, I noticed that this episode was directed by a guy named Johan Rank. And the name sounded really familiar to me, so I looked it up, and as it turns out, he would go on to direct two more episodes of Breaking Bad, one in season three and then one in season four. But he also, just this very year, directed the entirety of the excellent Chernobyl miniseries that came out earlier this year on HBO, which if you haven't seen, I would highly recommend. This guy is a very talented director, and it's very clear that he's uh, he's come a long way. From, not that this episode of Breaking Bad is, is not good, but his direction of Chernobyl, the, the miniseries, is, is very good. So if you haven't seen that, that's a little side note that if you have HBO or you, you can sign up for a free trial, I would highly recommend watching that. Yeah, Chernobyl is my favorite tv event of the year it's it's absolutely fantastic i watched it with sally and we just could not get enough of it fast enough it was so good and i was totally unaware of this this similar or this parallel and the fact that they had the director in common so thanks for bringing that to my attention and i would definitely encourage our listeners to go check out chernobyl it would be a great candidate for a an episode by episode podcast josh except for the fact that hbo released an episode by episode podcast with Craig Mazin yes, <laughs> alongside yeah. the episode. So uh, you should l- listen to that podcast as well. It's very Definitely. good. Definitely. Uh, but let's go ahead with this two-minute summary. Josh, try to try to summarize this uh, quickly. I think it'll, it'll be a little longer than two minutes because I've got a few scenes I want to play as we talk about this. But the, uh, the show starts out with an opening scene where migrants are crossing the Rio Grande. And this is, this is something that's not um, part of the plot line. Um, just like, just like we see these opening shots of the pink bear floating in the pool at the beginning of other episodes, the beginning of this one is migrants crossing the Rio Grande river and they get to the other side, they're taking a break. And then when they get up to continue their journey, one of them finds buried in the mud, the little acrylic case that's holding Tuco Salamanca's grill, his, his, uh, dental grill that, um, Hank's coworkers gave him after the shootout. So we think, what what is that doing there? That's not where Hank left it, et cetera. And we, we start thinking, how did that get there? So then we cut to the opening credits. And then we start with Walt finishing his first round of chemo. So this is about, about six months into his treatment. The doctor's optimistic, but says, hey, we'll know more when we do your scans in a few months. And also mentions that happens to be around the time that baby, um, baby Walt is due. Uh, Skyler and Walt's daughter and then we see Walt paying his medical bills he uh, is out of cash because he in his words has to pay for the world's most expensive alibi that stay in the hospital where he was pretending to have a an episode of transient amnesia so he's running out of cash he goes home talks to, talks to Skyler and she of course is under the impression that the Schwartzes are still paying for his treatment Walt obviously does not disabuse her of this notion um, Walt then discovers a clog in the toilet while he's vomiting from the effects of chemo. And what's causing the clog is a box of cigarettes. And we recall from the last episode that it ended with Skylar smoking cigarettes. So we think, oh, 
he's now discovered that Skyler is smoking. Um, Hank gets a promotion. He is going to be the Albuquerque liaison to the Tri-State Border Interdiction Task Force. That's not a real task force. I looked it up. Um, but it has some parallels to uh, these entities called Joint Interagency Task Forces that basically do like counter-narcotics and some counter-terrorism missions uh, south of the border. Um, the real Jayadef South is located in Key West, Florida. So this is a fictional entity, but the idea is that he's going to be the Albuquerque DEA liaison to this um, this border interdiction task force that includes military and civilian law enforcement entities to do drug interdiction. So this is the big time for a DEA agent. He says, sounds like it's, it's a hell of a promotion. So he's really excited. He also mentions that they're tracking, the DEA is tracking this new dealer, uh, this new supplier called Heisenberg, but that's all he knows. And then we see Hank riding in an elevator down to have some beers with his friends. And while he's doing that, he has a panic attack. So we're now to understand that he's having some emotional um, emotional side effects from his shootout with Tuco. So Hank's having a hard time. Jesse, um, recall uh, Jesse last was fleeing the cousin, uh, fleeing the junkyard of Badger's cousin. Um, in his RV. So he's stealing his RV back from where it was sitting in the parking lot there. But he returns to make good on his promise, tells Badger's cousin his word is his bond, and then he uh, pays him some extra to be able to still keep the RV parked there. He buys a junker car, and then he goes and uh, tries to rent an apartment from Jane Margulis, who's played by Kristen Ritter, and she's one of my favorite characters in the entire uh, the entire show. And I just want to play a, a short bit of this interaction. I'm going to play more of it later because I have more to say about this scene, but when Jesse's trying to convince Jane to let him rent from her, despite the fact that he doesn't have a W-4 and proof of income and all of this, uh, this conversation goes like this. Look, um, my folks, they kicked me out. I'm a, I'm a disappointment, apparently. Didn't meet their expectations. Again, so, you know, now I'm sending on gratis or whatever. But you know what? I'm a good person and... I work hard. I will pay you every month and I will pay you on time. I will not mess this up. Okay. I swear. So when Jesse's trying to say persona non grata, he says persona non gratis or whatever, which <laughs> I think is funny. I also like how he says like, uh, I didn't meet their expectations. Apparently it's like, of You're course, <laughs> of course you didn't Jesse. Yeah. So they say I didn't meet their expectations, but he has this sort of, uh, sort of tender, uh, interaction with Jane that I think is, is really nice and uh subtle but it's there and then we see walt and jesse meeting to talk about their ongoing distribution problem now that tuco's dead because tuco was their supplier they're arguing about the best way forward um they are talking about several options that they have and then jesse points out that they do have this third option there's a third way and what would that be we got to be tuco Cut out the middleman, run our own game. So you're going to what? Snort meth off a buoy knife? What are you gonna you gonna beat your homies to death when they diss you? Look, I know some guys. Alright, I, I can create a network. Look, we control production and distribution. That way we stay off the front lines while moving some serious glass. I mean, the point here is to make money, right? I love it when Walt tries to cast aspersions on Jesse's vernacular. <laughs> and yeah. He, and he, he adopts the mode and says something like, you're going to 
beat your homies when they diss you. <laughs> I also like how Walt, you know, Jesse suggests that, that they could be Tuco. And Walt's first like thing is like, you're going to snort something off a knife and you're going to beat your homies. It's like, not that you're going to make a lot of money. Like his first thing is you're going to do these crazy things. I don't think that's what Jesse meant when he was like, we could be Tuco. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Absolutely right. Um, so that's that conversation. We'll, we'll play more of that. Josh, I know you have some comments on that interaction. Um, then we cut to Marie and Hank who are um, having dinner with Skylar and Walt. Marie and Skylar go inside. They're talking. Marie's acting like nothing is the wrong, like she never shoplifted a necklace or a tiara or whatever and gave it to Skylar. But then Skylar makes her apologize. Marie, Marie does in tears. And then um, Jesse does get his uh, distribution network going. He recruits Skinny Pete, Badger, Combo, his his Einstein savant friends. And uh, Skinny Pete's out there, you know, he's out there on the uh, on the on the the beat selling his product. And then he gets held up at knife point by two homeless addicts. So they rob him of an ounce that makes um, the whole or maybe maybe it's a couple ounces. I think it was an ounce, but uh, makes the whole supply that much lighter. And then that's what Jesse and Walt uh, are talking about in that that uh, scene at the beginning where uh, they are discussing the fact that Walt doesn't have the money that he thought he had. Uh, he has 15,000. He was expecting 16,000. So he's not satisfied. He wants his money. This is what some of that conversation goes like. Help me understand the math. Okay. I gave you one pound, correct? You and I split $2,000 per ounce, $1,000 each one pound. That's 16 ounces. 16 ounces should net to me $16,000. 16. Not 15. Something came up. Something came up? One of my guys got held up by a couple junkies. Lost an ounce. But it's cool, okay? Skinny P's cool. Oh. So you're saying that your guy got robbed, or rather you got robbed, but... Doesn't matter. Hmm? Dude, it's called breakage, okay? Like Kmart, shit breaks. All right, so there's the breakage reference, and we'll play, again, more of that interaction later. Um, some other things to note here. Hank is laying in bed. He hears gunshots. He runs around the house with his firearm and flashlight. It ends up being some bottles of beer. He does home brews in his garage, and those bottles of beer are bursting open. But again, it reinforces this idea in our minds that Hank is going through some sort of post-traumatic stress and he's not handling it super well. Um, and then the very end of the episode is Walt walking into Jesse's house, laying a gun on the table and saying, I want you to handle it. He's obviously referring to this breakage that Jesse had told him about the fact that skinny Pete was robbed and Walt is giving him a violent way to solve this problem. Did I miss anything in this summary, Josh? It was a little longer than, than uh, two minutes, but I, it was. There's a lot to talk about. The only two things I want to point out are the 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 thing at the end where Walt sort of demands that Jesse handle their breakage problem with violence. I think that's a direct result of the fact that he's just come off an argument with Skylar, uh, where she was was eating something that's not healthy, and he he sort of has to be restrained in that in that situation. They they fight about the cigarettes and. And he does get angry, but he's a little bit restrained. And I think that when he goes to Jesse and says, handle it, that's his way of sort of unleashing some of that anger. And he's he's trying to get Jesse to do it for him. Um, 
And then I think the other thing that I want to say about this summary is that the very opening scene, which is the migrants crossing the river and finding Tuco's grill, I think that this is a really interesting thing to point out about where television was when this show was on the air. And that is that this scene at the beginning of the episode would probably not exist if this show were made today. And I say that because this scene was meant to draw people in before the opening credits, because as soon as the opening credits hit, they're going to go to a commercial because the show aired on AMC and they have to keep people's attention. So they want to do a little bit of a teaser to keep people around. Now, if this show was on a streaming service, for example, or as you're watching it on Netflix, it becomes much less important because you don't really need to be drawn in. You're already committing to watching the episode with no commercials. So I thought that was an interesting thing to point out as well. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, do you think that there's, I mean, do you think that if Vince Gilligan were to make something for streaming, maybe we'll find out with the Breaking Bad movie, do you think he would still keep these these scenes in almost as a nod to old school television because it it is a throwback to the hook and then commercial? I do like some of them. Like, I think the one that we talked about in the pilot that we, that we focused a lot on, that that is an especially good use. But that had more to do with the fact that we didn't really know the characters yet. We weren't really sure what was going on. I think for ones like this, where you get characters who you're never going to see again, they have a pretty inconsequential interaction with the rest of the story. I don't know if he would necessarily include those. Uh, To that point, I think that the ones that we're seeing in black and white with the pink teddy bear that we've seen a couple times and that we're going to see a couple times throughout the rest of this season those do play a part, and I think that those are more important in terms of the overall arc of the story. But I think the ones that are just sort of teasing that particular episode, you know, I, I remember this happening a lot on another show that I really liked. It's it's certainly not as uh, deep thematically as Breaking Bad, but that show was Alias. They did this a lot on Alias to try to get people to stay around for the whole episode. They would do a little teaser, and then they would cut to something like, oh, 48 hours earlier, and then you would lead up to that point. Right, right. So I don't know. I don't think that he would necessarily keep them in, but he might. I don't know. He that could just be his style. I was looking at his his IMDb page when I was uh, trying to find out some of the the people who were involved with the Breaking Bad movie. He hasn't really directed a lot of different things. He's mostly focused on Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. He did direct a few episodes of The X Files back in the day, but you know he's really cut his teeth you know, doing Breaking Bad and then Better Call Saul and then and now the Breaking Bad movie. So, you know, this could just be his style and that's fine. It's just not. And I guess Better Call Saul does. Ha- was that written for AMC or was that a yes, Netflix? No, it was AMC. Okay. Is season three Netflix? I think original? that I think that they've all aired on AMC because they, okay, they all do it. have they do the same thing. Sometimes they do have the, yeah, that's where, true. where they show a little teaser and then they cut to, you know, the main events and then sometimes cut back to it or, or sometimes have a longer lead right. on that sort of thing. But yeah, but to your point, it's not every episode either. So maybe there is already sort of a shift away from that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. It's it's not my favorite style of of filmmaking or, or television making, but, you know, I think it works fine. It's just one of those things where when I started this episode, I forgot that that had happened and I thought, am I watching the right episode? Am I right? Did I click on the right, right thing? Right. And then, you know, they find the grill at the end and you realize, oh, now I remember this is just a little yep. tease to keep you interested and keep you through the first commercial break, essentially. Well, let's use that as a segue to talk about the best scenes in this show. So we each have ones that we have chosen. I chose the breakage dialogue of which I already played part. And I'm going to play the second half in just a moment. But I just think that this scene is very well done and it's instructive 
as far as uh, illuminating who these characters are, especially Walt, because Walt is mad at Jesse for this breakage, as Jesse calls it. Uh, they had the ounce stolen from them, and that cut their proceeds each down from $16,000 each on the two pounds originally that they made to $15,000 each. So Walt's obviously not happy about this. He sees it as Jesse's fault. Um, and he goes on and on about this. And so our first thought is, and Jesse really says this, look, why are you upset? You know, we're clearing, we're clearing, um, five grand a day and, uh, or six grand a day because they made 30 grand in a space of five days. So Jesse says, look, the bottom line here is we're making money, six grand a day. You should be happy about that. Focus on the good part. And Walt's unable to focus on that because they've been robbed. And so I think for him, it's not so much about I have 15,000 versus 16,000. It's that somebody has robbed me. Someone thinks that they can go ahead and rob me. And as he explains to Jesse, he thinks ahead to the next thing too. What happens when, and, and this is what I'm about to play, but what happens when, you know, word on the street gets out that your guy was robbed and he was robbed uh, and or, or he robbed you and you did nothing about it, right? People are going to think they can get away with it and it's going to make our whole operation go down in flames. So I think Walt has a point about the long-term strategic planning of this, but his emphasis and his reaction just shows what a miserable character he is and selfish um, in that he is fretting this loss on his profits and more so uh, just angry that Jesse hasn't already handled it in a violent matter and made it violent manner and made it clear that people won't be able to get away with this anymore. So this is Walt reasoning, helping Jesse reason through and explaining exactly what he thinks will happen um, when words when word gets out. What happens when word gets out, and it's open season on these clowns you've hired, huh? Once everyone knows that Jesse Pinkman, drug lord, can be robbed with impunity. You think Tuco had breakage? I guess it's true, he did. He broke bones. He broke the skull of anybody who tried to rip him off. You want another grand? Is that it? Not my point. Take it, here. So the end there was Jesse saying, take another $1,000 and that'll bring you to 16 and you can stop complaining about it. But as Walt says, very truthfully, not my point. So it's not that he actually cares about the $1,000. He cares about further down the road, will this cut into his profits in a bigger way? So it it uh, it underscores in that sense how this really is driven by Walt's greed and selfishness. And I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode that breakage can refer to both of these things. So that you heard it there in, uh, in Walt's little monologue when he's telling Jesse, I guess Tuco did have breakage. He broke bones. <laughs> he crushed the skull of anybody who crossed him. And so uh, that's the that's the twofold meaning of this. Jesse's talking about breakage, as in accidents happen in business. There's going to be a little bit of you know loss from externalities, whatever. And Walt is saying, no, the way you handle this is you create your own breakage, right? You go and break things and break people. So um, two divergent views of what breakage means um, that illustrate something about the character of these two people, but especially about Walt. Zach, what do you think the reaction was from the the Vista Print? customer service person when jesse tried to get business cards made jesse pinkman drug lord do you think it was well received yeah it probably was they probably suggested a nice little you know clip art graphic yeah, yeah. to go with it uh, on the the vistaprint automated software i just i just like how walt tries to assign him like a title you know that that sounds that sounds like he's working in an office it's like oh you've been promoted to drug lord good job 
Jesse Pinkman, drug lord. Again, that's Walt trying to adopt the vernacular of Jesse. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, it's so funny. Um, and I, I, don't, I can't remember if it's in the clip that we're going to play, but um, later on when they're talking about the division of labor and how Walt does the production and Jesse does the distribution, Walt says, like, you know, this isn't mine. I don't do the whole on the streets thing. And he, he makes these really funny hand motions trying to, Im, I guess, imitate like how Jesse walks or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I wanted to point out about this, this scene that you've pulled here is that something that you, you can't hear because it, it can only be seen is that this, this interaction takes place with both of them sitting in their cars and they sort of pull up next to each other and, and neither of them get out of their cars. What I think is really interesting about this is I think to your point, Zach, they, they both do have a point. You know, Jesse says, why are you worrying about this? Walt says, it's not about that. Like, they both have valid arguments. But what's interesting is that they have a physical divide between them in this scene that just shows the divide that they have in their partnership. Like, if they had a problem, you would think, you know, think about it outside of, of drug drug dealing and drug making. If you and a partner mm-hmm. have a problem, you would sit down and if you have a true relationship and a true partnership, you will figure out a way to work through it together. And you wouldn't have that barrier. But I think that what is exhibited in this scene is that there really is a barrier between the two. There's a there's a real difference in opinions about how about how things work. And so I think that that is is an interesting visual component that that you can't hear in this in the dialogue. But that's important to understand the scene a little bit more. Well, uh, the other interesting thing about the two cars is that it puts them on a certain parody because neither of them are getting out and conceding vulnerability to the other. They're both staying in their cars. They're both in a vehicle. And so there's a certain level of equivalence, I think, that the viewer has um, and gets a sense of in the course of the whole conversation. And that's different from how many of these conversations have gone where Walt has clearly had the upper hand. Walt's bigger in stature than Jesse, so when they're both standing, Walt is larger. Walt is clearly more intelligent than Jesse. Walt has more life experience than Jesse. Walt's the one with the chemistry know-how, so he's the person who uh, who started it all, and they only have a, a business because Walt's the one who created it. So there has been this whole power disparity, but now we're at this point um, post-Tuco where there's a little bit of what seems like to us power equivalence, and I think it's reflected in that scene right there. And I think this is a great segue into your scene, Josh, because we might even see that power equivalence fade away a little bit in Jesse's favor in the scene where they interact in the RV. Yeah, right before we get into that, I just want to tell our listeners, this idea that Walt wants Jesse to sort of be the the bruiser, essentially, the person who handles the the street problem that is going to come back in in a couple seasons so i just want you to hold on to that this is not going to be the only time that walt asked jesse to to handle a problem and how he really doesn't want to get his own hands dirty okay so shifting to the scene that i picked for for best scene this is jesse and walt meeting in the rv in the desert Walt is cooking a batch of meth and, you know, they're out there trying to discuss what exactly uh, they're going to do about the distribution. We heard a little bit of this in the summary, but Jesse suggests that they essentially become Chuko and have a network of distribution. And and Walt says, no way, I I don't want to do that. I don't want to get into that. I don't want to share this information with people I don't know and don't trust. So we're going to hear a little bit more of that conversation right here. And I will admit to a bit of a learning curve. Oh. And perhaps I was overly ambitious 
in any case, it's not gonna happen that way anymore. Yeah, damn straight. Know why? Because we do things my way this time, or I walk. You need me more than I need you, Walt. Okay, so the really interesting thing about this this scene is that in most of the conversations we've seen between Jesse and Walt, Walt, as Zach just mentioned again, has the upper hand. And I feel like in this scene, where Jesse is really in his element, and even though they're going toe-to-toe, he feels like he has the upper hand. You know, we've seen in the past couple episodes, Jesse be really at his rock bottom. And we talked in the last episode about how he fell through a porta potty, how he, he slept in the RV by himself with a gas mask on. Like that is the lowest you can go. And it feels a little bit like he's turning a corner here. He has an apartment where he lives now. He talks in the scene about having responsibilities, which is kind of funny. He's like, yo, I got bills to pay, man. And, you know, so it feels like he's swinging a little bit into a positive direction. And I think that's totally necessary for the audience to see that Jesse has some some agency, that he has some power here. Because if we were constantly seeing Walt beat up on Jesse, I don't think we would buy the fact that Jesse would stay in this partnership. We have to see moments like this where Jesse has the upper hand. And I just love the ending of this where he calls him Walt because he almost exclusively refers to him as Mr. White. And that is because he had him as a teacher, but this time when he's going toe to toe and he feels like he has the upper hand, he calls him Walt. And I think that's really telling. I think you're absolutely right. And we talked in the very beginning of this podcast series about who you root for in this show. And I think the majority of people find themselves rooting for Jesse if they want to find a sympathetic character who they like and who they think at root is a good person. There aren't many of those people who are at root good in this entire show. I think Hank is one of them, even though he has some significant character flaws himself. But Jesse, we see as the victim who's caught in the wiles of Walter White. And it is, it's refreshing when we see him starting to speak up for himself and be able to stand on his two feet. And, you know, I don't think it's spoiling too much to, you know, just give away the fact that as many times as Jesse seems to be able to get back up standing on his two, on his own two feet, he gets knocked down again. And so there is this um, habitual repetitive pattern in the show, but it's, it, you know, when we see these moments where Jesse is maybe turning a corner, it's enough to keep us engaged. It's enough to keep us hopeful for him. And keeping that hope alive is something that's really important for the character of Jesse. Yeah, definitely. Should we move on to best writing? Yeah, my, my scene for best writing is, I already mentioned this Jane and Jesse interaction, but I really like this. And Jane Wills will feature much more prominently in the plot as this season goes on. And as I mentioned, she is one of my favorite characters in the show. And she and Jesse will have a relationship that will grow uh, quite a bit more. And this is their very first interaction. So they haven't met before this. And so I appreciate this because A, it, there's just some good writing. It's the classic Jesse Pinkman lines where he's saying funny things and being Jesse Pinkman. And Jane is very skeptical of him, but they also have this sort of tender connection. And, and it's pretty clear that when Jesse is saying that apparently he failed to live up to his parents' ex- expectations, that resonates with her. And so we think, okay, maybe there's some baggage there. Maybe she's dealt with something in her past similar to what Jesse's dealing with right now. They seem to be sort of connecting with each other, uh, at least on, on some level. 
And, and that's neat to see uh, both visually, but also through the dialogue between them. And so Jesse sort of outlines his problems and then Jane considers this and then eventually is okay with it. And the scene that, that I'm about to play stops right before Jesse signs the papers uh, for his rent in the name Jesse Jackson, which Jane gets a kick out of. And uh, it's also right um, right at the end of this clip, you'll hear Jane mention that she lives in the unit next door. And then just pay attention to Jesse, who's like, oh, really? Which is, uh, which is funny. So here's the interaction as it plays out between Jane and Jesse. Rent just went up. A hundred more a month. That's the cash price. Yes. Okay. Yes. Hey, you rock. Thank you. Thank you. You won't regret this. And in addition to first and last, I want two more months. DBAA fee, non-refundable. Yeah, of course. No problem. DBAA. Obviously. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what's, what's DBAA? Don't be an asshole. Gotcha. I live next door. Really? Really? <laughs> so that's the beginning of what will, will be a, a fun friendship to root for in the series. And I like it because of all of those reasons that I mentioned already. Yeah, and one interesting fun fact, I believe this is one of Kristen Ritter's first major roles. I listened to a podcast right. that she was on, and she was talking about how important this show was in, in sort of jumpstarting her career. Obviously, she went on to star in a sitcom called Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. That only lasted one season, but then she was uh, cast as Jessica Jones in the Netflix series that is based on a Marvel character, which went, which ran for three seasons. So she's a really good, she's a really good actor and she does a really nice job in this, in this show as well. I, I, I like the scene a lot. And I think that it's really interesting that you point out the fact that she seems to have some subtle tendencies that are similar to Jesse's. And that, that's not something I picked up when I watched this, but when you were talking about it and when I was listening to that, that clip again, it really is interesting how maybe she is, even in this first interaction, a lot more like Jesse than we might initially think. Right, exactly. Can we pause for a moment and talk about the fashion choices for for, for these two characters? You, you can't see it, obviously, in these clips that we're listening to, but Jesse, I don't know what, what is he wearing? He's always wearing these extremely baggy clothes. I don't know if they were like hand-me-downs or if that's just the, the way that the, the drug dealers and, and drug people in Albuquerque wore things. It, it's just very strange. Yeah, I don't really know either because this is not... It's not clothing that has been fashionable in any recent sense. Of no, the word. it's like mid '90s, early '90s. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, like, remember growing up? Remember, like, Jinko yeah. uh, jeans were all the rage, and uh, you know, big oversized Billabong sweatshirts yeah. and things like that. So that's yeah, mid '90s. You're exactly right. It's like he's stuck in the mid '90s, which maybe could make sense. I mean, this is this is circa what 2009. Yeah, and uh, and so if Jesse is how old do you think Jesse is? 25, 26. Yeah, probably so. So so he would have. I don't know, turn of the turn of the millennium, he would have been, you know, in high school. So maybe yeah. he just sort of kept the same fashion since then. Oh, that's kind of He's interesting to think about since high school. It's kind of interesting to think about maybe thematically that he's sort of stuck in this in this immature phase. I mean, that might be reading into it a little bit too much, but hey, we're reading into pretty much everything else in the show, so why not? Right, exactly. Yeah, you can't it's, overread into. It's it funny because because <laughs> Jane is Jane is dressed not not exactly the same, but she also looks a little bit out of time for, for 2009. And so I just thought that was interesting. She's also wearing pretty baggy pants and, and she's in all black sort of like, it's sort of like goth esque, but not it's like goth light. Yeah. Yeah. 
Gothlight. I like that. All right. Well, should we move on to my best writing scene? Yeah, please. Okay. So this one it pretty much uh, follows uh, story-wise from from the scene that Zach just talked about. But we are back with Jesse in his in his new apartment that has no furniture. He has nothing in there except he has uh, a couple bowls that he throws some snacks in, and he brings over his his friends, uh, Skinny Pete, Badger, and Combo. Great names, by the way. That's a those are Love definitely him. names that were that were on the birth certificate. It's a winning squad for sure. Yeah, yeah. He brings them over and he gives them a tour, which essentially consists of showing them where the flat screen TV is going to go, which I yeah. thought was pretty. Which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> and the recliner, right? And the recliner. Yep. And basically, this meeting you find out it's not a meeting to to use drugs. It's not a meeting to just hang out. He is bringing them on to be his his drug dealers out in the street. And I want to play this little clip here of him giving them the instructions and then talk about why I like this as the best writing. This is the best shiz ever. All right. Everybody and their mother's going to want to taste. And second, who else is selling right now, huh? It's dry out there. That's for sure. Church. So you point at how you want. Okay. Quarter, half, teen or whatever. But I make what I make. Too large. No exceptions. Short me. You're out. Cut it. You're out. Period. This is a big opportunity I am giving you. Okay, so what I like about this scene is that, first of all, like like Zach's scene, this has some great Jesse dialogue. And I love when Combo responds to, it's dry out there. He calls it church, which I think is kind of funny. What I like about the scene is both in the written dialogue, but also what it means in a bigger sense for Jesse. We don't see Jesse very much in quote unquote, the hero role where he is clearly in charge, where he has the upper hand. And that is very much the case in this scene. He is very clearly more book smart, more street smart than the dummies he calls friends. I mean, they're really, really uh, special people here. And (laughs) I just like that this showcases that Jesse is not stupid. I think that if you were Mm -hmm. to just look at this on a surface level, look at the episodes we've watched so far, you might think, Jesse is not smart, but I don't really think that's the case. I think he's naive. I think he makes rash decisions, but he's not stupid. And especially when it comes to this particular area of business, not that it's the best thing for a person to be involved in, but he does know what he's talking about and he has a good sense of what he needs to be doing. And so I think that it's really important for the character of Jesse, for the audience, for us to know that he's not dumb, he knows what he's doing, and when he's given the opportunity, as he is here, he does excel in certain senses. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And just like you were saying earlier, we the audience wants to see Jesse survive and wants to see Jesse thrive. And this is that. So here he is in his new place that he's paying with his own money. I mean, it, might, it may be money that he's gotten from drug deals, but it's still his own money. So he's in his own place. He's running this meeting. And what I, what I noticed when I saw this scene uh, Josh is that he is even though they're his friends he's he's running it like a businessman he's saying like if you if you you know if you skimp you're out if you cut it you're out basically if you if you uh you know take some of the drugs for yourself and don't sell it you're out so he's saying like we're gonna you guys are my friends but we're gonna do this my way and when his friends want to do some meth right there he says no this is business only we're gonna talk about this we're not smoking anything right now and he also talks about how we're not gonna do it here like this place you know there'll be dead drops where i'm gonna drop off the the product yeah yeah and good point. and you know he really is running it like a business out what 
he probably doesn't realize it's not always great to go into business with your friends because they will inevitably let you down. And Skinny Pete in this very episode lets him down by getting classic Skinny Pete, classic Skinny Pete, by getting uh, <laughs> held up at knife point by by the uh, junkies. So I do think it's interesting. You know, he's we're just one scene short of him handing out his business card, Jesse Pinkman, drug lord, to these guys and saying, "If you need me, call me anytime." Jesse Pinkman, drug lord. <laughs> That's right. From Vistaprint.com. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, should we go on to the best moments, Josh? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you sh- hit me with your best moment? Yeah, so I'll just do mine real quick. But basically, this is the the end where Walt walks in. And you mentioned this. I skipped in the summary, but you mentioned this. And I'm glad you did. Walt walks in. He knows that Skyler has done the cigarettes because he found them, found the box in the toilet. And so he's already, he's already mad. He's mad because he was just finished talking with Jesse. And Jesse just dissed him and called him Walt and asserted his uh, dominance. So Walt's feeling pretty um, humiliated. He's angry. He walks in, uh, says hi to Skylar, and she's she's eating um, what she says is a panini. And he says, I thought we got rid of those. Uh, aren't those the ones with the really high sodium? And that's what this conversation sounds like. Wow, you snuck in. Oh. I didn't even know you were home. <sighs> what you eating? Um, panini. There's another one in the freezer if you want it. I thought we nixed those, huh? Did we? Yeah, I mean, aren't those the ones with the off-the-chart sodium? I had a craving. Once in a while, it's no big deal. So obviously this is a thinly veiled metaphor for the cigarettes. And Walt starts out sort of delicately dancing around the cigarettes thing... But then he just cuts right to the chase and uh, basically accuses Skyler of being a terrible wife and mother. He starts out by first saying, where's Walter Jr.? And she says, I don't know. And then he says, I just thought you might know where your son is. (laughs) As if he can, you know, the pot calling the kettle black. He has no idea where Walter Jr. is and he's mad that his wife doesn't either. And then uh, and then he just goes right to the cigarettes. You know, he goes and gets them and says, what's this about? So he just goes right for the jugular. Um, but I love the sodium moment just because it's like mild, you know, it's, it's mildly humorous. He walks in and just criticizes her for, for eating something that has high sodium. And he's just come from a meeting where he's figuring out how to supply pounds and pounds and pounds of meth to the greater <laughs> Albuquerque tri-state area. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so a disconnect. In, yeah. Huge disconnect. So he, he comes in and knocks her for the sodium and then they have this conversation about cigarettes. And again, you know, he's mad that she smoked three cigarettes because of the, irreparable harm that could potentially do to the baby but here he is uh you know putting his his family in danger from um from evil parties across uh, you know drug cartels whatever um and just law enforcement as he gets himself wrapped up further and further into this drug peddling scheme so i love it for the the disconnect that it highlights and again for the uh the problems in the walter schuyler relationship that are existing here and as we're going to see in the next episode which i won't spoil uh, here but we're going to see that walt's walt's work doing the being involved in the drug trade is going to impact other families and it's going to impact exactly other children and i think that it is funny to you know in a dark way that he's really worried about skylar smoking three cigarettes and what that effect will have on his his children his child his unborn child and he's not considering the effects that his massive drug trade will have on families throughout albuquerque and throughout the united states possibly so i also like this scene because it, it shows how 
you know, I like this moment because it shows how Skylar, how far she's come from the veggie bacon of the first episode to the it's very true to the uh, microwavable snack that she is consuming on the floor here well and w- this is one of my nits to pick i'll just jump right to it though that's not a panini no Josh. it is not you, it is not a you panini. saw what she microwaved right yeah it, it looked like um texas toast with like melted mozzarella yep. on it or something yep, that is and then he came in and said what are you eating she said a panini i'm like that is definitely not a panini that is a that is a weak point in the writing that was definitely a, yeah, someone did sure. do their research. Exactly. Yeah, it wouldn't exactly. maybe Texas toast is copyrighted, so they they couldn't they couldn't say that. Oh, just panini. Yeah. yeah. What are you in Texas toast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very high sodium in Texas toast. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and then they then they hold it up for the camera, so they get a little ad sponsorship there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So my my uh, best moment of the episode is another small thing. There's actually really no dialogue to go along with this, so I'll just explain what happened. But when Walt is meeting with his doctor at the beginning, they're having a conversation back and forth, and at one point the doctor asks Walt how he and Skylar are doing, how they're handling this whole process, and they cut to a visual of Walt sitting alone next to an empty chair where previously Skylar had been sitting next to him in previous appointments. And I just thought that that little moment where they visually showed Walt by himself was was like a brilliant piece of directing uh, and and writing there. I don't know if it was written in the script, but maybe it was a Johann Rank original there. It was just a really good way of showing without having to have Walt explicitly explain to everybody like, oh, we're having problems or whatever. So it really shows his isolation and the negative effects that this whole plan that he has of of trying to do the the drug creation to make money for his family it really shows what negative effects that's having on him and his personal life my honorable mention though for for best moment is at the very end of the episode we see hank uh, throwing the grill into the river that we that we that we see at the beginning of the episode with the migrants and it lands so we see it from the perspective of where the grill lands in the river and it lands perfectly in focus right in front of in front of the camera and I just thought that was so great how they I don't know how many times they had to to film that to get it right and I just thought that that was a pretty great moment so you're the filmmaker you would know better than I but I I watched that as well and thought the same exact thing and then I was thinking I wonder if there's a different way they could have done that like could could it not have been the case that the cameraman's there set up you know on the other the other riverbank essentially and then Hank's over there and they say okay Hank just toss it toss it like over our heads and then we'll plunk down a little you know replica right in that spot so we'll get it exactly right and it'll look like you threw it yeah let me let me just set this up visually for anybody who who's a little confused about what i'm talking about so imagine that you are the camera's perspective is looking out over a river it's it's basically like the camera is in the river at a, at a very right. low angle and we can see the the far shore and we see hank on that far shore throw the grill, chuck it into the the air, and it lands in the river right in front of the camera. So I think the way that they might have done this, if they didn't actually accomplish that, is that they did sort of what you were saying, which is he would throw it just in the general direction, and then they would basically have another one in another clip land in front so that they could perfectly land it. And then they would basically put those two shots together and mask around where the, the changes was, because that oh, it does okay, go yeah. out of the frame because it's over the the camera's right. viewpoint and then it lands so right. they could basically combine those two shots together into one and do that but it it still looked pretty cool yeah totally i thought it was a really cool shot this this might be a, a good time to just briefly discuss that 
a good portion of the episode, I'd say maybe a third of the episode, focuses on Hank and his sort of PTSD from the Tuco shootout. And it's, I thought it was funny that neither of us picked that as our best scene, best writing, best moment. And I think that really speaks to the the weakness of that storyline in this episode. For, for me personally, I just was not moved at all by Hank's issue. I don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know what the disconnect was. I don't know if you have a better idea of what exactly happened here that we just didn't really connect with the fact that Hank was going through this. Yeah, I'm not totally sure either, but I I certainly share your sentiments and had trouble connecting with it as well. I suspect that because there are other interesting things going on with the other main central characters in the show, and because uh, Hank's PTSD is not linked to a specific plot event yet, it's just it's just less compelling, less interesting. I mean, if it were the case that that Hank was dealing with his PTSD at the same time that he was closing in on Walter White, a.k.a. Heisenberg, that would be one thing because it would be intricately linked to that event. Right. But the PTSD right now is a totally separate event, and it just doesn't it doesn't connect the plot in the way that I think you need it to to get really interested. And now, I understand that they need to sort of lay the groundwork a little bit, but I think maybe one flaw in this episode is that they do it a little bit too much. Like, for example, I thought the beer bursting yeah. uh, scene yeah. in his garage. I didn't think that was necessary. And maybe I'm missing something there, but I just didn't think it added anything to the episode. I didn't think it did either. And it also required an entire scene of setup with him manufacturing the homebrew for, yeah, also for it true. to then explode later and he think it's gunshots. So I, I totally agree with you. It, it is important setting the groundwork for future episodes and, and watching Hank's character evolve. But this, I think, like a third of the episode just seemed like a little bit too much. Uh, of this right. to to really be interesting did you have any other nitpicks because i know that beer bottle thing was one of your nitpicks uh yeah that was not not just that they burst but the timing of them so you know he wakes up and there are you know every three seconds there's pretty regularly a beer bottle bursting and then as soon as he discovers that it's the beer bottles bursting there's not another one that yeah, bursts the yeah whole time. it's He's just like perfect timing garage yeah so that was a little bit yeah, a little bit not believable. We already talked about the panini. And then the, the third one was uh, Skyler throwing her cigarette box in the toilet. Like, come on, you have to know that's not going to just dissolve. And there's a pretty good likelihood of clogging. And is that really going to be more concealed than you, you know, flush the cigarettes? Sure, do that. But hang on to the box and put it in like your outdoor garage or put it in your neighbor's garbage, something like that. Like there's a better way to take care of this. So come on, Skyler, really? Yeah, I think I, I didn't think about that till you pointed it out, but that is that is all time dumb. That, I mean, like, yeah, there there are so many other choices she could have made than than putting it down the <laughs> exactly. toilet. So my only nitpick from this episode is is along the same lines as as the toilet here. But Walt is getting sick in the bathroom and he pulls off some toilet paper to wipe his mouth and he pulls off. If you watch closely, a single square of toilet paper that's a hustle. that's it and if you've ever been sick to your stomach in the bathroom that. you know that a single square of toilet paper and from what i can see from the episode looks like single ply which is the worst ply that there is yeah. it would just do about yeah. nothing so i don't and it's funny because he, you know brian cranston commits to probably mistakenly pulling off only one square and tries to like dab his mouth like where he's just been violently <laughs> ill and i was like they couldn't have come up with a better take than that so I just that was my only nitpick from the episode. It was just like, what is going on here? Now, that is interesting, and it's, it, that's definitely a fair nit to pick. But I will say, keep that in mind, Josh. There's an episode I'm thinking of later, 
and specifically a scene in which Gus Fring features, and there's a similarly delicate oh, padding yeah, yeah, of the yeah, mouth. Yeah. Okay. So so maybe there's some foreshadowing. I don't know. I'm probably stretching that a little bit, but um, but that's a, that's funny. So the the single square thing. This is probably TMI, but I remember growing up when I was a kid. My grandparents lived in an old house in Pennsylvania, and it had old plumbing. And so whenever we went there, my grandfather was very adamant, like, do not use much toilet paper. <laughs> and he was always like, you got to, you know, do your business and then flush and then use toilet paper, not much, and then flush. <laughs> and he was like, and also don't use much toilet paper. And then he would tell stories. I, I still I still can hear his voice saying this. But he'd be like, when I was in the Marine Corps, they gave us stuff for the field and we would go do our business. And then we got one square and <laughs> one square only. <laughs> You know, my, my definitive ranking of, of, of toilet papers is, is like the, the double ply super cushion, the single ply sandpaper. And then you've got whatever they give you in every college bathroom, which is like the thinnest toilet paper in the history. I think they manufacture it specifically to annoy college students. Yeah, it's so true. I remember specifically actually in college thinking this is not dissimilar to sandpaper. (laughs) Exactly. All right, before we get too far off track here, the the only other thing I wanted to bring up here is this is this thought that I had when I was watching the episode and and we could just talk about it quickly before we give our MVP votes. But in your opinion, do you think that Walt and Skylar were ever really happy? Because we really only ever see them fighting or sort of forced happiness. I, I can't imagine a time that they were ever really happy. I, I don't know though. Well, my theory, as you know, is that Walt is actually a sociopath. And if that's the case, then it's it's hard for me to see any scenario in which both of them would were ever truly happy in that relationship because Walt is always calculating and always manipulating. And, you know, Skyler doesn't come across as a as a great character in almost any of these episodes. Uh, my brother really dislikes Skyler, the character uh, in this show. And so I think, you know, I don't know, I guess I'm hesitant to say that they were never happy. But if I'm correct that Walt is a sociopath, it's hard for me to see a, a scenario in which they were. Um, they certainly seem miserable in every episode. And even at the beginning, before Walt was diagnosed with cancer, they also seemed miserable. Um, there's a uh, there's a sort of like, I'm not exactly sure how to characterize it. Uh, there seems like a deep frustration or sadness within Skylar that even predated the Walt disappearing for days at a time um, sequence of events. And so I, th- I think I would have to agree with you that they probably never were really happy. I mean, at the same time, they tell stories of when they met and that made Skylar burst into tears. So maybe there was, maybe there were a few years of, uh, you know, the honeymoon period, but it doesn't seem very plausible at this point. They're kind of like the living embodiment of Misery Loves Company. Like they're both just unhappy and so they just stick together at this point because they don't have any other option. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Should we move on to our MVP before we wrap things up? Let's do it, yeah. Who do you, who do you have? So right now, let me read the score. Jesse, six. Walt, four. Skylar, five. Crazy, eight. Two and holding steady. Tuco, four. Hank, one. Walt Jr., a.k.a. Flynn, a.k.a. Breakfast Zero, Zilch, never. (laughs) Uh, That'll (laughs) never get old for me, and I wrote it. (laughs) So my vote for this episode goes to Walt. I think that... Oh, he had surprise, surprise. I didn't think that's who, that's where you're running. Yeah, go. the reason is is because you know in the last episode we talked about how he was really stationary. He stayed in the house most of the time. I feel like he has a lot to do, and in this episode, but I like that he is on the ropes. He's sort of 
he's sort of back against the wall most of the episode. He's he's on the defensive. And I think Brian Cranston does that really well because he does also get moments to sort of explode in this really brilliant acting. But at the same time, he has moments where he sort of has to sit back on his heels and sort of be defensive. Yeah. I think he does a n- nice job there. How about you? Uh, I'm going to give it to Jesse. So... Uh, we have the the two main characters with an even split among us for this episode. But I really like your points about Jesse in this episode and how we start to see a little bit of his uh, more assertive, intelligent personality come through. I love the scene with Jesse and Jane, and I thought he was masterful. Uh, Aaron Paul was masterful in that. Um, in general, I just like the the arc for Jesse's character in here, and I think um, what we what what is revealed to us in this episode about Jesse's character is more than what is revealed to us in this episode about Walt's character. And so I think for that matter, I'm going to give the MVP vote to Jesse. That's a good point. So that leaves that leaves Jesse in the lead with seven. Walt and Scott are tied at five. Tuco and Crazy Eight holding steady at four and two respectively. I uh, don't think they'll advance from there. Hank with one. So And Walt Jr., zero, zilch, never. Yeah, it's a pretty good split so far. I, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that we have a nice split. I, you know, we talked about this when we first gave MVP votes that we thought, you know, maybe Jesse and Walt might run away with this. But so far, it's been nice to sort of spread the love. And I think deservedly so. Anything else, Josh? Or do we wrap up season two, episode five? I think that's all for me. I'm really looking forward to the next episode, Peekaboo, which is season two, episode six. It's one of my favorite episodes of the second season. And it's certainly up to this point. It's it's uh, through the first six episodes is my favorite episode. So I'm excited to talk about that next time on Breaking Pot. There's there's a lot of a lot of great developments coming up in the next few episodes. So I'm excited to release the next few podcasts as well. Yeah, that's all for me, though. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Breaking Pod. If you want to get in touch with us, let us know what you enjoyed, what you didn't enjoy, what we miss. Just shoot us an email at breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. While you're waiting for the next release of Breaking Pod, go ahead and head to vernacularpodcast.com and check out any of the other fantastic podcasts that we have on the Vernacular Podcast Network. And make sure you mark your calendars for October 11th because that's when the Breaking Bad movie comes out on Netflix. And shortly after that, you'll have in your podcast feed a brand new episode from us talking all about Breaking Bad, the movie. So thank you so much for listening to Breaking Pod. Have a great week. Mm